episode 11 of the Humagro Farmer podcast. Today, we're having a conversation with Corey Rosenbush, president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, and Lyndon Smith, president and CEO of Biohumanetics, a maker of Humagro, Fertigold Organics, Mesa Verde Humates, and several other product lines. Corey, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about the Fertilizer Institute, its mission, vision, and objectives. Well, thank you. The Fertilizer Institute is a 100-year-old plus uh, trade association based in Washington, D.C., and we have about 150 member companies that we represent. And our mission or our purpose uh, as an organization is to uh, really to protect and advance the plant nutrition industry. And so we do that through facilitating business development opportunities, sharing information, and most importantly, our real core competency is advocacy uh, at the federal level in Washington, D.C. Lyndon, we've been a member for quite a while. Yes, many years. Why? Yeah, so the Fertilizer Institute represents uh, the broader agricultural industry that we're a part of. And we've seen ourselves as a nutrient company more than anything through the years that really says our core purpose in life is to, to give nutrients to the plants, to the world, you know, through uptake through the plants. And so it just seemed like a natural flow that we'd be a part of that. And advocacy for us is just as important as for any company to be able to have a voice on the Hill and to be able to participate in that broader discussion. And I'm assuming that since we've been a member for so long, it's worked out okay for us. Yeah, so even though uh, at times it hasn't been our specific message of what we've wanted to say, in terms of the broader perspective and the broader industry of agriculture, the TFI represents exactly what needs to be said in today's environment particularly. And so in the last several years, there's been a shift more towards environmentally friendly, sustainability, and a shift towards uh, biostimulants. And so we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more. But in that shift then, biohumanetics is part of that shift and wants to participate in that shift. And so for us to participate in these organizations that give us that, that voice, that opportunity to speak in that market, that's really what we want to be a part of as well. But another thing that we need to share from our company standpoint is the staff at TFI is just as high quality as their leader. And uh, some of these folks have, you know, that we've rubbed shoulders with through the years, when they call you by name and they remember the company name and, I mean, somebody like Biohumanetics, and they can remember that, that just really in, endears you to them. And so my hat is off to all the heavy lifting that goes on behind the scenes, behind a quarry, uh, that makes such a difference to what's going on right now in the industry. And so I applaud the, the folks at TFI that have been there for a long time and that we've known and, and rubbed shoulders with and just appreciate their effort, their work, and, and the ethics of what goes into making things work at TFI. We're glad to have Biohumanetics as a member. We thank you for your membership. Um, I'm new to TFI, but I think one of the things that has happened in recent years is the diversification of membership. So perhaps historically, TFI might have been known as a manufacturer association. So primarily representing major NP and K manufacturers. And we've really seen that evolve to include 
importers, distributors, retailers, wholesalers, specialty products such as those that Biohumanetics makes. And I think TFI is evolving to want to ensure that all elements of that fertilizer supply chain have a home and they're part of a plant nutrition industry and that it is a holistic view of really feeding the world through increased agricultural productivity. So I see uh, I've been out to you guys' website and you've got a lot of stuff on your plate. There are a lot of stuff, things that you guys are involved with. Talk to us about some of the primary initiatives that you guys are working on right now. Well, it's a very timely question because literally this morning, um, here at Biohumanetics, I was on a call with our executive committee to set our uh, policy priorities for the upcoming year. Uh, as we know, we've just had an election. We not only have a democratically controlled House and Senate, but uh, President Biden, who's also uh, part of the Democratic Party, taking over the White House. And so we really are, are in a place to look at what our initiatives or what our priorities are going to be under this new administration. There were three key priorities that came out of that discussion and came out of the data that uh, we asked the board to weigh on, weigh in on, including uh, Lyndon, who is one of our board members. And those three are really around the environment. Um, climate change is number one. Uh, on this administration's agenda. And we think we actually have some opportunities there to tell a really good story uh, for, for this industry. Number two is trade. Uh, we want to really ensure that not only our farmers have access to markets to sell their crops, because that's good for our industry, but we also want to make sure that uh, we support all fair and free trade in the world for our own fertilizer products as well. The third really critical priority for the fertilizer industry going into this year is transportation and infrastructure. And I think the good news about infrastructure is it's probably the one area on Capitol Hill where we'll see some movement, where we have bipartisan support. Um, a, you know, a large percentage, uh, well over half of all the fertilizers move on in the inland waterways in the United States. And it's really important that we continue to invest in that infrastructure so that fertilizers can get to the farmer and so that their crops can get to market. That's the, the priorities for this year. Some of the things that you've had ongoing for a while, let me kind of walk you through some of these. 4R Nutrient Stewardship. The 4R program is a program that I continuously hear from our members as being one of the most valuable things that we offer. And so that stewardship uh, framework, the 4R Stewardship Framework about applying fertilizers at the right source rate, time, and place, um, is really about um, helping ensure that farmers are being responsible and that they're um, being responsible in the use of fertilizer, but that it's also economically beneficial to them. You know, they don't want to just be spending, wasting money on inputs. They'd really, rather, they would rather be very precise about when and where they apply those plant nutrients. And it also has a big impact, of course, on the environment. And so the 4R stewardship program was really instrumental in the Midwest when we started seeing some water quality issues. And it was an opportunity for the industry to step forward, provide a framework to our ag retail members so that they could work with their grower customers to help promote stewardship. And under 4Rs, we obviously have um, a 4R advocate program. Uh, we, we select every year um, a set of farmer grower partners 
that are demonstrating good for our stewardship practices. And it's an opportunity for them to be recognized and rewarded. Uh, typically, in a normal year, uh, we present and announce these winners at Commodity Classic, which are all of the major um, commodity groups, their big trade show annually. Obviously, this year, uh, it is our 10th year to be recognizing them, and we're going to be doing a little bit different since we won't have that trade show. But nonetheless, it, it doesn't diminish the importance that these retail and farmer partners play in promoting good stewardship practices. Um, we've got a wide diversity of for our advocates, so it's not just corn and soybean growers in the Midwest. Uh, we've had cotton growers in Texas this year. Um, we have a brand new crop, and uh, we're going to be looking at grapes, uh, viticulture, and in California. So a lot of diversity, and it just demonstrates how important stewardship is anywhere in the world with any cropping system. So I see with the advocates taking a look at your website that right now you've got almost 250,000 acres under this and going on in 25 states. So this is not a small program. It is not a small program and we want it to, to continue to grow. Um, I think some other interesting elements that have come out of the advocate program is being able to work with, look, we all know farmers really rely on what their neighbors are doing. They look to their peers in terms of adopting good practices. And so we've, we've embarked on a series of case studies where we're now looking at some of those previous advocates and we're trying to capture through, through data um, the case for using for our stewardship. So if we can highlight and feature not only the economic benefit to the farmer, but how it's you know, increasing yields by using those practices, and more importantly, what the environmental impact, uh, positive environmental impact is. We hope that'll spread, and, and that's, that's a really important part of our research efforts to be able to really quantify that impact. An outsider might, might take a look at the 4R nutrient program and think that a fertilizer manufacturer wouldn't like that because the manufacturer wants to sell and sell and sell as much as they can. But London, that's not necessarily the case, right? I know you've got some opinions on the 4R program, <laughs> and you love it. We do. We love the 4R program. We're, we're high, high on that list of, of advocates and sell, saying to anyone they need to follow that program. The difference is we say, yeah, but you ought to look at our products specifically, because when you look at our products and the ultra-efficiency of what we do with the microcarbon technology that's proprietary to us, it makes all the difference in the world where you can actually apply less and get more into the plant. And so if you're, first of all, buying into the 4-hour stewardship, then products like ours that really make things more efficient and work better, faster, and more precise, then products like ours can really make a difference in that 4-hour in that stewardship uh, adventure, if you will. And we've been keeping an eye on the environment for the past 50 years. Yes. Right? That's exactly this, right. This is not a new thing for us. Nope. nope. We're just excited to be a part of it. Moving on a little bit, the, the Responsible Ag Program. I know we are a responsible ag retailer. Corey, tell us about that. Um, I grew up in a small town in, in Texas, a rural town, about 2,000 people. My dad was an ag science teacher, FFA advisor there. And a couple of towns over was actually West Texas. And we all remember the uh, horrific incident that happened there. And the fertilizer industry uh, responded 
and made a industry commitment and prioritized safety by implementing the Responsible Ag Program. And so the Responsible Ag Program really mimics or, or follows a lot of the federal and state regulations around safety and ensures that ag retail facilities, manufacturing facilities, terminals, warehouses, are really following all of those best practices. It's a certification that is audited uh, on an annual basis, and when that facility passes that audit and demonstrates the competencies, then they receive the responsible ag uh, good housekeeping seal of approval that they're operating in a safe manner. You know, you're, the, the, the saying is always, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And, and this really is about, as an industry, ensuring that we're not only committed to safety, but doing all the right things to protect not only our employees, but the communities that we live and work in as well. And you see that seal of approval on our front door when you come. Absolutely. It's the first thing I noticed. Lennon, any, any comments about our participation in that program? Yeah, thanks, Larry. Uh, this uh, Responsible Ag has been a wonderful thing for the industry, and I'll just explain that briefly. It, when you have a major catastrophe, like what happened at West Texas, normally what you get is a government response that may or may not be friendly to the industry and and that's an outcry from the public and so what responsible ag allowed us to do was to respond responsibly to what happened at west texas and not only become fully compliant with what the government was saying but also those standards are actually a little higher than what the government is saying in many respects and so when we follow those guidelines it makes us better makes us safer, makes our community safer. And so being a part of Responsible Ag, for us seemed like the responsible thing to do. And, uh, and it just made sense. And, uh, and so we support that initiative and how, how we can actually self-regulate rather than being forced to do something that is responsible and beneficial for our, our community, then we're allowed to, to do it voluntarily because we choose to and we want to participate. Switching something else that I know is going to be near and dear to Lyndon's heart, uh, the Biostimulant Coalition. Corey, talk to us about what's going on with that. We were very excited to announce at the beginning of 2021 a formal uh, joining of efforts of the Biostimulant Coalition with TFI. So the Biostimulant Coalition has been a group of companies, uh, around 20 companies, that uh, advocate in Washington, D.C. for specific policy objectives around, the bi around biostimulants. TFI also has many members that manufacture biostimulants, and so we were already working together with one another, uh, trying to you know, all march in the same direction, and an opportunity came up last year uh, with the Biostimulant Coalition, who were really looking for a more formal structure uh, to really house themselves under i.e. an association, and it, it really aligned with where we see a big part of the future of the industry going. Um, you know, you probably have seen the, the discussion about next generation fertilizer technologies. We, we announced a, a program with the EPA and USDA to um, really invest in innovation for the future. And, and these are the types of technologies that we see that are going to complement perhaps traditional uh, fertilizer use and to really achieve not only our goal to feed a growing population, but also to um, really have a, um, a favorable impact on the environment. And we think all of those things come together and aligned and to use a trite 
trite phrase, syner synergize our efforts uh, really with one loud voice. So taking those 15 companies that will come to be part of TFI, taking the TFI Biostimulant Committee uh, that's part of the association, uh, bringing those group together, groups together to make sure that, that we can all speak more loudly for the policy objectives that we want to achieve. So what are those objectives? Um, a few, and I'm sure Lyndon can, can add a couple as well. Um, we want a common definition of what a biostimulant is. We want to make sure that that is crystal clear. Um, we also want to make sure that there are clear paths to market for these products. Um, we want to make sure that it's classified as a plant nutrient and perhaps not put into the category of maybe a pesticide or be subject to, to FIFRA EPA uh, registration requirements. And so these are just a few of the objectives. Um, and I would say overall, we also also want to see how do we how do we get these in front of farmers they're the end user they're the ones that can benefit from biostimulants and what efforts can we provide to make sure they have an opportunity to uh, have a have a place in the market biostimulant regulation is going on all over the world right and what you're talking about is mainly in the US but the European Union other places have gone down this road as well what are you guys doing to coordinate with or collaborate with or to somehow come to some shared agreements with what's going on in the rest of the world? So I'm not a technical expert on this subject, so Lyndon may need to uh, correct me on it. But this is, a, this is a situation where we actually look to, to Europe to be a little bit of the leader. Um, you know, they in some cases are a little more advanced uh, in this area in terms of identifying uh, what, what is a biostimulant and, and having a regulatory framework for them. So I think a lot of the global efforts that have um, already been um, made in the biostimulant space is what we would like to bring and make sure is used in the United States. The EU might be a little farther down the road, but you also know a lot of people in the world are going to look at the U.S. and see what they're doing, right, before they decide what they're going to be doing. So we are, we do have some responsibility there to make sure that things are going the right direction. Lyndon, what is that right direction? Well, uh, let me comment on a couple of things. First, uh, one of the main things that we're hoping to accomplish on the biostimulant front for the United States is that unity. Corey mentioned it briefly. But I just want to expand a little bit that we can have a label that we can, all the states will recognize as a, as a biostimulant label that can then be approved by the states rather than having to go to each individual state and get that approval. That's a challenge for us right now on many fronts. And so uh, that's part of this push to be able to have a national effort, a national mandate to be able to help us to market these products that are truly beneficial for the environment, beneficial for the fertilizer industry in and of itself, and beneficial for the growers to be able to maximize yield quality and, and soil health going forward. So uh, that's, that's a, a very exciting part. So I'll just comment briefly on this, on this combination. We've been members of Biostimulant Coalition in the past, have, aren't currently members, and so we weren't one of those members that were brought in. But we applaud what TFI has done to bring in the Biostimulant Coalition. Not only does it lend uh, the TFI gravitas, I'll say, uh, to that whole movement, but it also um, shows that TFI, the members of TFI, Board of Directors, the Executive Committee of TFI, 
is willing to put their reputations into a future that really has merit for where we need to go in agriculture worldwide. Um, we look at the, the pressure that's on agriculture to be able to feed you know, a whole bunch of people by 2050, uh, almost 10 billion potentially, or at least about 9 billion people, and, uh, and that would require us to at least double or triple in some locations even more that agricultural production. Well, we can't do it uh, under conventional or traditional methods without some aid, and these biostimulants can actually aid in that production and aid in that quality and aid in being able to give nutritive produce to the consumer that will benefit them in being able to feed the world for many generations to come. And that, so that's exciting for us. And so this combination, uh, even though we haven't been with Biostimulant Coalition, we've been members of other coalitions. Uh, BPIA is another one that we've been a member of for several years, HPTA, Humic Product Trade Association, uh, we've been a member of and participated with. So all of these organizations have come together. Having TFI's leadership now going forward will be very helpful to all those organizations to raise the boats, if you will, of all those organizations. Under the TFI uh, leadership, in my opinion, going forward, it will have even a greater level of interest on Capitol Hill and in the governmental agencies that are reviewing these things. Um, it was mainly because of TFI's involvement, I'll just say it that way, uh, because of the weight that TFI carries that got the USDA, that got the Congress in 2018 to add a biostimulant clause into the Farm Bill, uh, the 2018 Farm Bill. And so that's where it all started in the United States. Yes, it might have been a response to what was going on in Europe, but a wonderful opportunity for the United States to step in and also take a leadership role. So the other part that I'll mention about this unification is also to unify standards for defining what a biostimulant is and standards for how to quantify and qualify those biostimulants in the regulatory environment is very critical for going forward. It hasn't been quite done yet, and neither in Europe nor in the United States, but it's coming and there's a lot of great synergy that's going on and particularly with TFI's leadership now with the Biostimulant Subcommittee incorporating the Biostimulant Coalition, I think that we can get to those a lot faster and I think we can, we can participate as an industry in developing those, again, under self-regulation to be able to supply the industry with what needs to be supplied and really move forward. And again, from biohumanetics personal standpoint, maybe a little selfishly, we hope to be part of that leadership going forward that's going to make a difference in, in this whole industry and what happens. I'll reinforce your point earlier that not only do we have more and more people to feed every year, we've got less land under cultivation. Exactly right. So we've yep. got to do a better job. That's right. Right? Exactly right. Which kind of brings us into my next question for Corey. You guys have a new sustainability committee. 
So tell us about that. And, and first of all, tell us what you mean by sustainability, because, you know, I, I, I've even had people tell me, Larry, don't use that word. That word is passe. You know, uh, everybody uses that word. Nobody knows what it means. So, well, I have to be honest, we're still defining it ourselves. Um, we have long had a for our stewardship committee. And I think that that for our stewardship committee was our real effort in sustainability and demonstrating, at least on the farm, uh, our environmental efforts and, and efforts to uh, ensure that fertilizer is viewed in a, in a sustainable way. Um, we recognized, however, that the environmental impact and especially the importance of climate change goes beyond just what's done on the farm. And we, we definitely know that our members are committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions um, at the uh, factory level or at the manufacturing level. Um, we also know that uh, they're looking at water use uh, and being good stewards of water use in, in manufacturing. And so we needed to be able to distinguish between on-farm stewardship and what we were considering sustainability practices for our distributor and manufacturer members. So we launched this new committee to really focus more on that specific audience. Many of those member companies are large publicly traded companies. So the impetus is really from Wall Street and investors and funds are looking to invest in companies that prioritize ESG, environmental um, social and governance in their companies. And they're even required to report on these items. And they've shown data or statistics that companies that prioritize ESG outperform those that don't. And so uh, the, the new sustainability committee will really especially focus on that ENS uh, as part of ESG for our distributors, our wholesalers, and our manufacturer members to make sure that they have equal voice um, as to what we're doing already in the on-farm stewardship space. Lyndon, how will that affect what people like us do? Yeah, so we're very excited again with, with TFI's leadership in this whole arena and taking on uh, sustainability and the stewardship that goes and follows along with that. Our hope is, from again, from a little selfish standpoint here of what biohumanetics does, is that products like ours take a bigger role in the future to be able to give those kind of environmental responses that we need to be truly sustainable. And I, I, I define sustainability very simply, and that is that rather than focusing on just production, we're focused on long-term production capability. And so anything that we can do to improve long-term soil health, or more efficient fertilizer rather than having residues that go off into the land or into the environment or, uh, or into the volatilize into the air. We, we want to have the type of fertilizer application that's precision based that can be applied in the moment and deliver nutrient in the moment rather than taking, and I'm, I'm giving a bias here, but we look at extended life fertilizers or fertilizers that have uh, control release or long-term release, we look at those as a challenge for that because some of that, if it's there for a long time, can go off in the environment one way, or, one way or the other. And so we look at something similar to our products that can be applied today and actually get into the plant today. And so the future we see in precision agriculture is to apply what's needed in the moment. And that's going to be done 
by a lot of uh, consortium of individuals that can come together where we're actually monitoring the crop maybe remotely, either satellite or aerial or something like that that's telling us those nutrient deficiencies in the very hour that they show up and then being able to apply a product similar to ours that will go in within hours or minutes and really affect that growth and take away all those deficiencies and long-term challenges because we're only applying enough to really treat that deficiency and move that crop through. And to us, that's sustainable. And uh, that's long-term sustainability. That's improving the environment. That's being good stewards. And that's uh, providing a sustainable alternative. Particularly stu being good stewards of the resources, right? That's right. So that we're not wasting too much to get a certain result. Yeah, we're applying the right the, the exactly right product in the right exact moment and in the right exact way uh, in the right exact amount. So. Yeah. So, Corey, next topic up. I know that uh, TFI puts out the State of the Fertilizer Industry Report every year. For the listeners, if you go to fertilizerreport.org, the 2019 report was actually published as a website, which was interesting to take a look at. I'd, I'd like to hear at some point if that worked for you or not compared to in previous years where you put out a, a PDF or a printed report that people would take a look at. And I noticed that there is not yet a 20. 2020, and maybe that's a year we all want to forget for so many reasons. But talk to us about this report, what the plans are for that. Yeah, this is a this is a great um, publication for us to really help uh, demonstrate the industry's commitment to sustainability. So again, going back to the goals of the Sustainability Committee, uh, we wanted to be able to capture key data around. Um, our sustainability performance. So energy use efficiency, uh, worker safety. Um, so as an example, when we benchmarked our industry's um, uh, worker safety data against other similar industries, we outperformed them. We were quote unquote safer than other uh, industries in our category. And so those are, those are really good stories to tell. And that was a major uh, objective of that publication. However, we also wanted to provide our members with a tool so that they could start looking at their own internal benchmarking. So if this was the industry average uh, for uh, reduction in greenhouse gases, how is their company um, performing against that? Um, we've, we've done it for a number of years now. Um, originally, we were doing it, um, I believe, every two or three years and uh, did one in 19 that was largely a digital uh, version to move to the, the digital world because we could feature some videos and some storytelling, and that was the main reason uh, to do that. We actually still had a, a printed version for people that uh, may want to print something out and, and read it when they're on an airplane or laying by the pool or whatever they're doing. Um, we did pause in 2020, um, truthfully because of COVID and some of the, um, I guess, competing priorities that companies were having at the moment in order to be able to report that data. It also allowed us to look completely fresh at the report and understand what is it we're trying to achieve there, what data do we want to capture, um, do we want to primarily make it a environmental and social report for um, uh, production, or did we also want to include on-farm use uh, components? 
and we're still talking through all of that. And that's one of the major objectives and the things that the committee is working on. I really liked all the videos you were able to include. It gave it a lot more depth and context in terms of what you were talking about. Yeah, that, that was the objective was to, to be able to bring it to life. Um, when you put a face and a story behind it, um, it wasn't just us, you know, uh, printing a nice brochure. But you had you had real people telling real stories. So uh, for biohumanetics, we have participated in the state of the industry report, given our information into the TFI uh, for the last several years now, and we've loved participating in that because we think that the only way to raise all boats is to participate. And so even though we're one of the smaller players, and we're sure that our statistics probably don't uh, add up to much in the in the whole scheme of things. But we want to participate in that. The main thing that the state of the industry does for us as biohumanetics is to turn around to the public and be able to say, hey, we really have a story to tell here. And one of the challenges of our industry has been not telling the proper story. If you go to the public and you say, what do you, th what do you think of fertilizer? Is it a positive view or a negative view? And most people in the public, at least studies that have been done, would say that fertilizer has a bad name in, in, the, uh, in the public eye. And, and yet, really, what we're doing is applaudable, and it's, it, it's exciting, and it's amazing what we do. And so the state of the fertilizer gives us the data to be able to go to the public and say, look, we're, we're a $130 billion industry. Now I can't even remember what it was, but I think that's it, close to that, $150 billion industry, or that we're feeding you know, more mouths today than we've ever fed before on less ground than we've ever had before. Uh, we're doing all of these things. We're, we're safe. We're providing the nutrients across the world. We're, we're feeding the world and making a difference and, uh, and, and literally giving nutrition to the world. And that's nothing short of a miracle. There's less, less people going to bed hungry today because of this industry and what we're trying to accomplish. So I just think uh, our participation and others in the state of the industry and being able to tell our story better will make a difference. The other comment, uh, I'd love to comment on, as well on um, some of the outreach things that we get to do through TFI and other organizations. And one of those is Hill Visits, where industry can go and actually talk to Congress, uh, congressmen and senators and be able to get a chance to meet some of the regulators and some of those organizations and have meetings with them, they can hear from us and we can hear from them. And my hope is that we can continue to do that and participate in those activities as well. Because it's only in that interchange that we truly can make a difference and uh, express. I, I've seen senators and representatives who, when we shared about what the ag industry was doing, all of a sudden their lights came on and said, oh, I can see that this could be important for me and my constituents back home. And to be able to influence that and to see those changes and that light come on, oh, we can see where this particular transportation issue can make a huge difference for all of the industry. Or, wow, uh, this particular regulatory, CFATS, or you know, pick a, pick a regulatory initiative that we're behind. Those are things that really can move things. So. We appreciate being a part of that. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the conferences. I know you guys typically do three conferences a year. Uh, you've got some plan for this year. Tell us what's coming up. 
Yeah, if, if I could editorialize a, a moment, um, it's been an interesting year for associations. Um, we are technically considered tax-exempt organizations, which means we largely work on break-even budgets. We're nonprofit. And a large portion of a lot of associations' income to support their overhead comes from non-dues revenue, such as events. Now, knock on wood, um, thankfully the TFI, uh, we were able to weather the storm quite well last year. A lot of my peers in associations that perhaps depend upon 50 to 60% of their revenue from events really had a difficult challenge um, going through COVID. Um, matter of fact, in the, the latest, latest COVID relief, uh, trade associations were added to qualifying um, companies that could apply for some of the PPP loans to hopefully replace some of that revenue so that they didn't have to make drastic um, staffing decisions for some of that event staff. That, truthfully, we're working harder because one of the things that we all learned was producing a virtual event was 10 times more work than a real live in-person event. At least the first time it was. Wow, it was, it was a whole new set of challenges. Um, but as I said, we were, we were quite fortunate. We had some very uh, positive things that, that came out of that. We were able to engage with some folks, that uh, members and, and levels in a company that perhaps we would have never seen or touched or been able to have a, uh, a relationship with in a perhaps face-to-face -face environment. Um, we did have one live in-person event, so we, we decided to proceed in September for our, our opportunity for members to come together and, and do business. It was a very small gathering, just an opportunity for those that were really, really desperate to see people uh, to get together. And then um, our two remaining events last year did, did, were both done virtually. So the T3 conference, which is our trends, technology, and transportation event, was done virtual, as was our, our, our trade show, uh, which was called InfoAg, which is really more for um, crop advisors, uh, for retail agronomists, and that was also delivered virtual. What was interesting is both of those, it was also their first ever um, first ever time that TFI put them on. So InfoAg had been around for 40 years. It had previously been owned and operated by the International Plant Nutrition Institute. And when they dissolved, that asset came over to TFI. So we still haven't had a chance to put it on real in person yet. This will, 2021 will be our first opportunity to do it. But we felt it was important, especially because it was being transitioned from IPNI to TFI, that we at least kept that brand alive last year and had a offering. And a lot of the CCA, CCAs, the certified crop advisors, depend upon those credits to continue their certification. Um, just generally speaking, my own personal opinion, um, I think we learned a lot about virtual events. Um, I think virtual events have been around for a long time in the form of webinars. Uh, I think there will be hybrid opportunities going forward. I believe wholeheartedly in-person events will come back. They will roar back. Um, there are things that you're able to do uh, in person, conversations that you can have, uh, discussions that happen you know, in the lobby or in the hallway that you just don't experience in a virtual environment. And so for that reason, um, we're excited about 2021. Um, our February annual meeting, which was scheduled to be held in California, is postponed till April, and we did move it to Texas. 
Um, as you can imagine, California was not uh, um, um, open for having events uh, in February. Gives us time to get folks vaccinated. Um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be in a situation with COVID where numbers will be uh, at least trending in the right direction and allow those that at least feel comfortable to gather in April to do so. And we're, we're looking forward to seeing everyone again. And then of course, InfoAg will be first week of August in St. Louis and um, uh, the T3 event uh, later in the year in November. So uh, we're, we're excited. I, I started uh, my first week on the job was the annual conference last year. And two weeks after that, we went into shutdown. And so that whole first lap around the track, as I call it, where you're going out and you're hitting all of your events, you're meeting everyone, you're seeing everyone. I, I didn't get a chance to do that. And I can't wait to, to be able to see everyone in person again. So Lyndon, as a participant in these conferences, anything you want to tell Corey? Yeah, you know, uh, it's been amazing, the, the shift. And to be able to go home and sleep in my own bed at night is just something that's been totally foreign. Uh, I've been known to be 50% of my time away from home in a given year and uh, attending events like this and, and other customer-focused uh, uh, activities. But uh, just a, a huge shout out to, to how all the industry has responded uh, to this uh, situation has been phenomenal. I'll just share that I do think that in the future we might have some hybrid version that uh, those who cannot attend, because sometimes you're forced to choose between two events that are going on at the same time, and having a hybrid where you can tap in virtually uh, to something that's going on, but also be able to be present at another event may really increase both activities. And uh, so our hope is, is that the way this morphs, and I know it's a lot of work, we've been there because we've done our biannual conferences as well here at biohumanetics, which we postponed in 20, uh, 2020 and didn't have one. Uh, but we know the work that goes into putting on a live event, and we've been part of uh, those events virtually. But, but looking forward, it's just so wonderful to think that we can bring the world a little closer. I agree with Corey a thousand percent. There's nothing that can be said for that in person, press the flesh, and particularly in agriculture, our industry is very much a part of that. And uh, being able to meet somebody face to face and have that discussion, having Corey here, for example, right now in our offices is just such an honor for us. And, and Corey's done a phenomenal job. He talks about the one year lap around the block. Well, he, he has not let that stop him. And for him to come out and visit members participating has just been phenomenal. And so we appreciate that, and particularly that leadership. But looking forward, we're hoping that there's kind of a, a hybrid where you can attend, but also if you have to or you need to, to be able to attend virtually uh, and to be, still be able to gather that information. In the past, unless you attended, you couldn't access that information. And so we're hoping that maybe there's kind of a, a hybrid there that can work. If I can just build on that, first of all, thanks, Lyndon, for having me. Um, not everyone is in a position where they can welcome guests, and it's been so helpful for me to learn the industry being new. Um, but just as a, as a humorous aside, if I, if I couldn't come out and do this in person, I wouldn't have known that Lyndon had eight children. 
I, I wouldn't have known about his passion for eagles. And those are just things that you don't, that just don't come up on a, on a video Zoom call. And we're not a transactional industry. We're not a transactional people. It's not about just jumping on a call to accomplish an agenda. It's about going a little bit deeper in relationships and having those, those common connection points that frankly, I believe just can't be built without the ability to see each other. So you've talked to us, Corey, a little bit about what the uh, priorities are for 2021 already. What's what's the future hold for TSI? Well, obviously, I'm biased. I have seen it's a bright future. I wouldn't have come over and taken the job. Um, I, I see a, a great role for TFI um, to, to really play in a very mainstream topic around the environment and climate change. You know, the, the challenge of the future is, as Lyndon said, how are we going to feed 10 billion people on less land or the same amount of land uh, and do it in an efficient way that really supports the livelihood of the farmer? And uh, I just believe we, we check so many of those boxes. We have so many good stories to tell. And in some ways, I think fertilizer is the answer. And so I do see a, a bright future for the industry. I think there's a lot of innovation that will come. I think there's uh, a lot of development of technology that will um, advance the industry. And I'm just looking forward to being a part of it and um, I'm participating in, in some of these conversations. I also see a lot of diversification happening. So the Biostimulant Coalition Edition is an example. What are the other parts of the uh, plant nutrition world that we can unite and ensure that we're all speaking in one voice. And, and I look forward to being part of that as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Humagrow Farmer. Show notes for today's podcast can be found at humagrow.com. Keep following these podcasts for the latest information on enhancing your crops using Humagrow products. Grow healthy.